0: All right. Hey, that's not a sound I'm used to hearing. Good morning, guys. It is good to be with you. My name's Drew. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in our third week in a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're not very creative here. We just teach right through books of the Bible. And one of the things that 1 Corinthians is bringing up for us over and over again is what our core message is as a church. And it's important to clarify that because there are a lot of competing messages for our attention, both inside and outside the church. For example, in the church, some churches would say that the primary mission or goal of the church is political and social activism. And so there is a lot said about what you should be doing from a social justice Perspective, And the Bible certainly has some things to say about us living just lives, and so you can see where there would be some warrant to that being a message of the church. There is another camp that would say that the primary message and mission of the church is to tell the world that God is a healer. So these are churches that really camp out on the charismatic gifts, and we see Throughout the Bible that there is an emphasis on God giving his people miraculous gifts. So you could see some warrant to that being the message of the Bible. And others would say that the primary message of the Bible is for us to be good, moral people. After all, the Ten Commandments are in the Bible, and we should follow after the Ten Commandments, and we should obey the Ten Commandments. And so let's get down to the nitty-gritty details of of our lives, and let's talk about how we should live and what we should do. And let's spell that out in all sorts of detail. And there are many other such messages that are competing and clamoring for our attention in the church. But what Paul brings us back to in this passage is that the primary message of the church Is the cross. Our message is not about moral improvement. Our message is not about social justice. Our message is not about morality. In fact, our message is not about you at all. Our message is about the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. And so we're going to see that in three different ways in this passage. First of all, we're going to see the folly of the cross. In other words, if your reaction to me saying that is, are you serious? You're not alone. Here's what 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 21 say. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... So one of the reasons that I believe that the Bible is true is because of its explanatory power. Here's what I mean by that. I think that the true worldview through which we see everything else should include every other worldview has the most explanatory power. This passage says that the reason that the message of the cross is folly or foolishness to much of the world is because they are perishing. So if you look at the cross and you say, I don't get it, that's foolish, that doesn't make any sense, the Bible would say it's because of a problem with you, not because of a problem with the message of the cross. It is because you are spiritually dead. You are physically alive, but if you were able to take a spiritual pulse, there wouldn't be any. It's because you are perishing. And what Paul is acknowledging is that on the surface, it looks like when we begin to talk about the word of the cross or the message of the cross, that God became human and lived among us, He lived a perfectly righteous life, and then that He died in our place for our sin on the cross and rose again three days later, we believe that in that message is the power of God. Now, why would somebody think that that message is foolish. Here's some different things that I've heard over the years. It's a crutch. It's for the weak. I've even heard it's divine child abuse. Why would that be so to a watching world as they look in at our primary message? It's because the messaging of our entire culture is that the strong win It's the beautiful that get ahead. It's those who gratify themselves and get to the top of the corporate ladder who are going to be successful and are going to be satisfied. We don't have any time for weakness. We don't have any time for meekness. We don't have any time for someone who would lay down their lives for other people. We want to get ahead. And the cross seems to be foolish because it is the opposite of that message. Now, there's something interesting that this passage says. It says that God sent Jesus on the cross for us and in our place because in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. And here's what I think that means. The Old Testament and many parts of the New Testament are filled with wisdom. This is the best way to live life. And so, three primary areas that the Bible speaks to in terms of how you should live your life are sex, money, and power. And essentially, what the Bible says about sex is to wait until marriage and then to give yourself fully and completely to someone else to serve them. Sex isn't meant mainly to gratify self but as a self-donation to someone else. Sex is about service, not about self. Money is about generosity, not about hoarding. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And power is meant to be laid down in the service of others not to be compiled so that you become rich and famous and get everyone to serve you. Now here's the interesting thing. Within that wisdom from the Bible is the message of the cross. Here's what I mean. The cross says, lay down your life and you will find your life lay down your rights and you will find your true self give up yourself and you will find who you were really made to be the world says that's foolishness but if you think about it for just a second it's blatantly obvious It's the CEO who serves the employees in his company who really gains their respect and has true power. It's the person who is generous and gives their money away who really possesses their money rather than being possessed by their money. It's the person who serves in a sexual relationship that achieves the goal of sex, true intimacy with another human being. And so here's why the message of this cross is foolishness to the world. Because they're spiritually dead. They can't see what's in plain sight, how obvious it is that this message is so wise. Hey, think about this for a second. Imagine... That you were given a seed, and you're holding on to this seed, and you're shining this seed, and you love this seed. I mean, it is a beautiful seed. And you decide one day, against all of the wisdom of all the people around you, that even though you love this seed, you're going to do something as audacious as planting the seed in your backyard. And everyone around you is like, but you love that seed. And that seed is the most beautiful thing in the world to you. And you shine it and you've got it on your shelf. To them, it's foolish for you to plant the seed. But to you, it's obvious that that's what you do with a seed. Because in giving up the seed, you're not really giving up anything. You're planting an apple tree which is much more valuable than a seed. The message of the cross is foolishness because people haven't really thought about it. Give up your life and you'll find it. There's a famous missionary named Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus gave his life for us so that he would not lose us forever. And he's calling us into that kind of life. We are thankful for Jesus because he gave himself for us On the cross. So that's, first of all, the folly of the cross to those who are perishing. Secondly, we see the wisdom of the cross. Look with me at verses 22 through 29. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So Paul says in their day that Jews were demanding signs. Jews historically have been a sign-oriented people. They wanted the parting of the Red Sea again. They wanted manna falling from heaven. They wanted to see people walk across the Jordan River. They wanted people healed of diseases. If you were talking to a Jew in a conversation, they would say, I want you to prove to me of God's power and his existence through signs, through miraculous signs healings and divine interventions we want to see proof now if you talk to a greek they would be like a modern western person we don't believe in science we don't believe that god intervenes they would have a scientific explanation for healings or even wonders that are done in the world and they would say no we're not really buying into science what we want is well-reasoned argument after all, we still read the works of Plato and Aristotle. They're seen as some of the most wise men who ever lived. And the Greeks would spend time listening to philosophers as a form of entertainment. So he's saying, Jews want miraculous signs, Greeks seek wisdom. Not, we're backing off from preaching the cross and trying to make our message more palatable, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What's he saying? He's saying... That the way that you come to know God is not by being smarter than other people. It's not having an incredible IQ and being super well-read. And you don't come to know God by being in the right place at the right time. You happen to be there when God miraculously intervened and did some amazing sign you don't have to have this incredible perspective and access to god having seen miraculous wonders we're always impressed by wonders aren't we he says no where you see god where you know god is at the cross now why would i say and why would paul say There is so much wisdom in this. Paul makes us think about our calling as Christians. Calling here doesn't just mean like God called you on the phone and asked you if you wanted to believe in him. Calling here is God miraculously intervened in your life, woke you up from the dead, and showed you that the cross of Jesus was the most precious thing in the universe. So he's saying, remember your calling. He says, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Here's the wisdom of the cross. Anybody can get in on this. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be good. You don't have to clean your life up. The most difficult thing for us to grasp about coming to know Jesus is that all you need to come to know Jesus is nothing. And very few of us claim to have nothing. See, what we tend to do is we tend to look at our history and we either qualify ourselves or disqualify ourselves based on our lived experience. So, we say, because I've committed this sin or because I've done this thing, then I can't be a Christian. Or we say, because I've done this thing and I went to this school and I've been this type of person, then I'm qualified to be a Christian. The only thing you need to be a Christian is the cross. The wisdom of that is that it's a message for everyone. Guys, this passage has been incredibly meaningful to me since finding out that my oldest child has special needs. So, my daughter, Emma, is adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I remember, after adopting her, recognizing that something was different about her. And it is gut-wrenching, as a dad, to find out that one of your kids has a 57 IQ. And I remember wrestling with Really, why? What's the point? Now I have conversations with Emma and I say, Emma, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Why? I don't know. But she comes home each day, she goes into our basement, We have a little Amazon Alexa in the basement. She goes down and she worships Jesus for an hour or an hour and a half each day. And I often think of this passage. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Do you have nothing? Or do you have something this morning? The wisdom of the cross is that it's for losers, not winners. And when we really think about it in the quiet moments of our own hearts, even though we're insecure and that's manifesting itself in pride and it's manifesting itself in boasting in all sorts of different ways, We know that we have nothing. Naked, I came from my mother's womb. Naked, I will return. You can't take anything with you, none of your credentials. But here's what the cross says about our nothingness. This is the amazing thing about the cross jesus looks at you even though you have nothing to offer except sin and regret and brokenness and ugliness and he says i want you i love you i came for you so the third thing we see in the passage we've seen the folly of the cross the wisdom of the cross we see the grace of the cross Look at 1 Corinthians one 33-31. 30 and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here's a really important question for us as Christians. How did you become a Christian? Now, it's theologically correct to say I trusted in Jesus. I placed my faith in Christ when I was in college or when I was in high school or when I was six years old next to my bed. But there's a deeper reason that you trusted in Jesus. And it's spelled out super plainly in this passage. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Because of who? Because of God, your Father in heaven. See, the deepest reason that you were sitting in a room like this, and you were there with your college roommate, or you were there with your brother or sister, and you heard the message of the cross, and your eyes were open. It's like scales fell from your eyes, or it's like your heart came alive. It's like you were dead and then you were alive and everything's changed. The deepest reason for that is not because you were smarter or because you were better or because you did anything or because you brought anything to the table. The only reason that you trusted in Jesus is because of Him. He opened your eyes. By grace, you have been saved. Grace is completely undeserved favor. And Paul's conclusion, if you grasp this, is, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our only boast is in the Lord, in what he has done in us, not in what we have done for him. Even our faith is not something that we performed for God, it is us ceasing to perform, opening up our empty hands and saying, I need you. And even us doing that was first and foremost the work of God in us, not something that we were doing on our own initiative. And what God did when he opened our eyes is he placed us in Christ Jesus. And here's what we saw in Christ Jesus We saw wisdom from God. We saw in the cross that Jesus' crucifixion, his death, was a lens for us to view all of life. We saw that Jesus dying for us in our place, laying his life down. In service of us, even though he had done nothing wrong, being falsely accused as a criminal and taking our place was the most beautiful thing in the world and the most wise way to live life. Instead of lashing out at people and getting even with people, we see forgiveness is the path forward. Jesus became for us righteousness on the cross, Righteousness is, simply put, the state of a person as he or she ought to be. We have this deep insecurity and feeling that we are not as we ought to be. Do you know why that is? Because we're not. On a daily basis, we don't even live up to our own standards, let alone living up to God's standards. Jesus lived up. If you ask Jesus, give an analysis of your day. Every single day of his life, you say, perfect. Did it all right. I lived exactly as I ought to have lived. No regrets. Here's what Jesus offers you at the cross, his righteousness in exchange for your sin. So that when God looks at you, he sees an absolute beauty. God's assessment of every day of your life is just as you ought to have been. Why? Not because you've been as you ought to have been, but because Jesus was in your place for you. We see that Jesus became for us our sanctification. Okay, this is unbelievable, because I think sometimes we think of justification, like Jesus died in our sin, or for our sin, in our place, as the finished work, and we think of sanctification as something that we've got to perform to earn God's approval, but... Paul is saying here that Jesus has become for us our sanctification. How so? He implanted the Holy Spirit within us. That is not something that we did. So the power to live a life to honor and glorify God is not something that you earn. It is something that you receive with the empty hands of faith. It is something that Jesus performed for you so that you could then live it out. So the message that comes from the cross is not go live how you're supposed to live, it is be who you really are. You are a sanctified individual. And then lastly, we see that redemption is found in Christ. That is liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. Before coming to Christ, it's like you're in prison. And there was a debt so big that you could never pay it to get out. And when Jesus died on the cross for you, he paid your debt in full. So, you owe God nothing when it comes to your freedom. So the declaration of our message is, you are free, not go try to be free in your own strength. So we boast in the Lord because as Christians, our trust has transferred from self to the Lord. Where we have failed, he has come through in our place. You know, this is built into our wiring as human beings, Christian or non-Christian, to transfer our trust to something or someone outside of ourselves and then to boast in that person or team. Think about sports. Okay, what happens after the Vikings win a game in this city? What do people that you know and love say about a Viking victory? They say, We won the game. And I'm always thinking, like, even when I say that, I'm, I'm an analytical person, so I'm thinking through this. I'm like, Okay, so you wore a Harrison Smith jersey, you sat on your couch, and you ate nachos. These guys have been lifting weights, running, working their butts off, getting hit and risking their necks all week, and yet somehow, we won the game. Not they won the game, we won the game. What are you doing? Well, you're looking back at your high school football career, right? Or for me, I lasted one year in football, fourth grade football. That was it. I was done. I was the lightest kid in the entire league, 65 pounds. I just got the absolute junk beat out of me. I was done. But I'm looking back at that, and I'm like, there's no way I could play in the NFL. So the only way that I can win in the NFL is to transfer my trust to a team. Likewise, the only way you can win in Christianity is to transfer your trust fully and completely, to Jesus Christ. Let Him win for you. The message of the cross is that you need nothing but Jesus. Him alone. And so I'm asking you, not just to admit that you're a sinner, but to admit that even the best things that you've ever done or could ever do are not enough. To lay down your pride. To become like my daughter, Emma. To have the audacity to have nothing but grace. Let's pray. Jesus, um, thank you that that's the message. That's all we got. It's just you, Jesus. We don't have the, the strength to go out there and be valiant Christians on our own. We can't earn our standing with you. We can't do anything to deserve or undeserve your favor. And we just collectively boast that it is because of you, God, that we are in Christ and we would have it no other way. And so I pray for that person here who has just been beating themselves up, looking at themselves and saying, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. Or for that person who has been working so hard to try to be enough and is trying to convince themselves of something they don't even believe, I, I am enough, I am enough, I am enough. And would, would they see Jesus? And would they see, Jesus, that you are enough? Would our hearts be at rest, not because we are as we ought to be, but because you are Jesus, and you gave yourself for us, so we rejoice together? In that, in Jesus' name, amen.